Kobe Bryant's death not only had an impact on the NBA and on families, the city of Los Angeles, but it also had a big impact on the Pac-12 footprint. So many players looked up to him, current and former. We're going to talk about that. UCLA has a money problem. They got an APR problem too, but the money problem is a big deal. What's going on with Sean Miller? Should he be out at the University of Arizona? USC has a recruiting problem and it's only getting worse. Todd Graham gets a job and there's a bunch of other coaches that have moved on and come in and out of the Pac-12. I'm George Reister with Ralph Amsden and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. Thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles. Please make sure you share the feed, tell a friend about the Pac-12 Apostles, a podcast for Pac-12 fans by Pac-12 fans where you get the real about the Pac-12, not just some sugar-coated, cookie-cutter version. You get the real. Um, Please leave a five-star rating on wherever you listen to this podcast. Also, if you want to get in touch with us about topic ideas or have a comment, you guys know we get to all of those. Send them to I'm mad, I-M-M-A-D at unafraidshow.com. Whew, Ralph, man, this was hard. Kobe passing was just absolutely just devastating for me. I was on the way to my son's game. I coach his flag football team. And then all of a sudden, we we hear, well, actually, I got on the field. My phone started blowing up at first, but I didn't check it because I had to get the baby out of the car, all of that. Get on the field, and one of the kids runs up to me, Coach George, Kobe died. I'm like, what? Kobe died? How the hell could Kobe die? Like, what, what could kill Kobe Bryant? And turns out, Less than three miles from where I was, Kobe Bryant crashed in a helicopter along with eight other people. And the Altabelli family, three members of their family, Miss Mauser, Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gigi, the pilot on the plane, and two other people on board. And it just hurt me so badly just for so many reasons, Ralph. It was... On the father level, we're supposed to protect our children. And I can't imagine what Kobe was feeling in those last seconds, not being able to protect his daughter. And then how did the day start? They're just going to go to a basketball game they had at two o'clock. Probably got up, had breakfast, kissed the other kids goodbye. Vanessa, all right, baby, I love you. We'll figure out dinner later. And then an hour later, TMZ is is reporting that that your husband and your daughter, a third of your family is dead. It just hurt me so bad, Ralph. I mean, they're they're piecing together his last moments and, you know, the text he sent to Sharif O'Neal to make sure he was okay after he announced that he's leaving UCLA, his well wishes to Cody Bellinger for his MVP award tweeted out from the Los Angeles, Los Angeles Dodgers official Twitter account, his tribute to LeBron James, who had just passed him uh, to be third all time in scoring the night before, you know, this was a man that was just living his life. He was out there and 
in an instant, it's, it's, it's over. You know, I was my, my old pastor of my church came to came, he came to church in a Lakers shirt and I've been giving him, you know, crap for being a proud Lakers fan in the middle of Phoenix. Um, you know, he's from Compton or whatever. And, and, uh, or, you know, I've, I've been giving him crap forever about, about it. And he's in there in a Lakers shirt and I pointed at it and I was like, Oh, so you can wear it proud now that they're good. Him and I are going back and forth about it. We both got an alert on our phone, looked down and it was just like, man, I hope TMZ's wrong. You know, they, they said Tom Petty was dead when he wasn't dead yet. They've killed little Wayne about 14 times and it hasn't necessarily been the case. We both just looked at each other and said, I hope it's not true. And, um, you know, get my car and start to see it's all, uh, being confirmed. And then I'm just sit there in the church parking lot in my car, not really knowing what to do or who to talk to about it or, or what it, it was just a, you know, I, I think it, it, it hit everybody in a certain way. And I, I remember the impact that Kobe had on my life. You, you're, you're kind of the same generation as me, George. There was never not Kobe ever in my basketball consciousness. Like I fell in love with basketball at age eight and that was about the time that I started paying attention to prospects and sports illustrated for kids would come in the mail and it'd be like, there's this kid at lower Marion high school and he's legit. And I watch him fall to number 13 in the NBA draft. And I'm like, if he's so legit, how come he's falling that far? And the Hornets pick him up and I'm like, all right, well, he's going to continue that long tradition of, you know, mourning and, and, and Larry Johnson and the exciting basketball of my youth. And then all of a sudden the Lakers come in and snatch him up and, and being a Suns fan, I was like, Oh, that's how it is. And, you know, I, I, I worried that, you know, <laughs> this guy was going to come in and be a thorn in the side of the Suns. And he was more than that, man. I remember first game he ever played against the Suns. He went for 16 off the bench in 14 minutes. And guess what? They won by 14 and had a lot to do with him. And he just tortured the Suns forever. And my most you know, poignant Kobe Bryant story is, is uh, my, my, my wedding day. My wedding day the Suns and Lakers were 3-3, and the Lakers had gone up 3-1, and even though the Suns came back, Kobe dropped 50 in game six. And uh, I was never more sure of anything in my entire life than my wife was the right woman for me. We're going to be together forever. And when she was walking down that aisle, I was I was 100% convinced, and there was not an ounce of nerves in my entire body about the wedding, but I was nervous as hell about Kobe Bryant in game seven that night on my wedding day in the first round of the 2006 playoffs. And uh, Kobe laid an egg in that game and it was maybe the worst he ever played against the Suns. And I always took that to be like my wedding gift from Kobe Bryant that he let the Suns survive in those 2006 playoffs. And um, he was, he was ever present. And, uh, and the biggest thing for me is I'm a father now and you're a father and you and I connected over, you know, our shared emphasis on fatherhood and sports. And it's why kind of we do what we do and how we stumbled into this whole Pac-12 podcast. But, you know, his second act and bringing that mama mentality to to just being great at what you do as a father and in your next chapter, you know, he he he, he wasn't anybody's mentor while he was a player. But, you know, as as a retired basketball player, He's done absolutely everything he could to be invested in his daughter's interests. You go through his likes on Twitter and it's all women's basketball. It's not fake for him. He's into it. He adopted that whole world and he did it for her. And, uh, and, and you just see the way that he mentors former players and everything like that. And I just, 
that's something that I, I really aspire to. You see the way he is with his daughter. And that's, that's what I want to be, man. Like I, I, when, when people talk about taking mental reps of like catching the game winning touchdown or hitting the game winning shot and then go out and practice it on the court every single day, that what I envision for myself, what I think about over and over and over again is like, how could I be a good dad? How could I be there for them? How could I help them grow in their interests and challenge them? And at the same time, not be trying to live through them, but really trying to let them stand on their own two feet. And when I looked at Kobe Bryant, I looked at a genuine example of somebody uh, who was doing that at the absolute highest level. And I'm going to miss him. Yeah. That's what I love the most about Kobe. It wasn't even all the basketball stuff. It was the fact that he took what what Michael Jordan gave us, which was greatness and took it to the next level of showing us how to achieve greatness. And it was the Mamba mentality. It was the unwavering commitment and dedication beyond what we initially think is we're capable of. And he showed us that you have to be committed to the process and do hard things and not quit when it's just difficult. Like his marriage. Yeah. His marriage. Yep. It would have been really easy for her to, for Vanessa to walk out the door, for him to not fight for it. it would have been very easy. And the fact that he remade himself as a husband and as a father shows the type of man that he actually turned out to be. And I noticed the the thing I noticed the most about the Mamba mentality was I, I, and I really figured it out when I watched the animated short Dear Basketball that he ended up winning an Oscar for was that the mentality, the Mamba mentality was fueled by love. That so many people said nobody wants to play with Kobe. He's hard on his teammates. Yeah, he was hard on his teammates. But in hindsight, I see it's out of love. It was out of love for the game of basketball. And he and he couldn't understand why people weren't willing to sacrifice and give every single ounce of what they had like he was doing. He was like, I love basketball. Why don't you love basketball like I love basketball to give every ounce of what you have? Don't give me 90 percent. Don't give me 80 percent. Don't give me 99 percent. I need 100 percent because that's what I give. So that's where the hard came about on his teammates. But. The other side of that was just so his second act because he ended up being so wise. He was a man who gave great fatherly advice. I'm putting out an article on Unafraid Show about that, about the love and tenderness he showed for his daughters and his wife that warmed our heart. Like we would have expected him to be hard, demanding, grinding on his kids, but instead, uh, I remember um, there is a tweet, I think, that R- Ramona Shelburne or somebody asked him a question about his daughters. And he said, the thing about it is that you have to pique their curiosity, get them to asking questions, get them to want to be involved in it. And then you don't have to grind them. You don't have to do all of that because they will want to go to work. And that changed my the way I deal with my own kids, like the way Kobe did things. Like it changed the way I did it because um, I think Ralph, I told you before the three most impactful 
athletes in my entire lifetime on me just so happened to be basketball players because that's what I really had wanted to do when I was young it was Michael Jordan because he made me believe that basketball that I could fly and that basketball was real I could do superhuman things Steph Curry he allowed me to articulate my redefinition of manhood which was completely different than what I had believed it was and that character and your personal boundaries and how those impact success but kobe he not only like showed me how to be a maniac about going about everything as hard as you can but then also how to that you can do that and be tender and loving with your family at the same time right and and that you can come back Right. And that there's, yep. and that, and that, and that there's redemption, you know, uh, Kobe's story isn't one of complete success. It's also one of folly and it's also, you know, one of overcoming. And there's going to be a lot of people. You know, I talked about this on my show that covers just Arizona sports in general. There's going to be a lot of people that don't want to have any grace for Kobe Bryant and that's their grace to give. And so you have to understand and acknowledge that there are going to be people that are still, you know, hurt by what they perceive Kobe Bryant's actions and culpability, you know, in, in, in his younger years to be, you know, in, in certain circumstances. And I think that it's important to acknowledge those things, but it's also important to acknowledge that you, and you, you and I share some kind of cultural mindsets and religious beliefs in that, you know, you and I read a book in which, you know, the wisest or, 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 or one of the wisest and most important Kings of the old Testament sent a woman's husband off to war to die so he could be with her. And we read the same book and, you know, where most of the new Testament's written by a dude who uh, under a different name than the one he carried later in life, persecuted the same people that he would, he would go on to lead and transform. And, and, you know, life is a, it's an interesting mix of the mistakes that you make and the way that you come back and the way that you, you kind of uh, surrender to a, a higher power. And I think that, you know, he was an example for a lot of people in that there is uh, redemption and restoration for you if, 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 if you're willing to sort of publicly humble yourself and humble yourself privately as well, and 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 move forward and be a different man and have a different mindset. I think those things are important, and I think forgiveness is important. And you know, the stuff that Kobe was involved in is stuff that has impacted my personal life as well. And I've seen people who perpetrated terrible things go on to receive accolades and never be held responsible or an accountable. And I, I, so I get, you know, the people that, that, that might have ill will toward him. And, and at the same time, you know, there's also people that, that just need to understand and come together and grieve alongside and mourn alongside the people who are left because, you know, half of Kobe Bryant's family is still here. And those are shoes I've been in as well. You know, I was in an accident with my mother when I was young, I survived, she didn't. And I had to go along the rest of my life wondering what if and kind of being apart from her. The beautiful thing about Kobe Bryant and Gigi is that they were together on the way down. And in my personal belief, they continue to be together right now, you know, in, in, in a different way. And, but it's everybody who's left that you got to worry about and mourn alongside and, and help get through this. And my hope is that people can kind of get over some of the, some of the grievances that they have and realize that there are people left here picking up the pieces and, and, and to humble yourself and, and, and to also bend over with them and help them pick up those pieces and help them along. Cause it's not just Kobe Bryant. There's several other families involved in this and tragedy happens every single day all over the world. And you just kind of have to get past yourself and what, 
what you believe to, to understand and, and, and be able to empathize with people who are going through something really serious. And that's my hope is that, is that, you know, no matter what your beliefs are about him, um, that, that you realize that there are people left picking up the pieces and, 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 you know, either get out of the way or, 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 or help out with that. Yeah. I, I hate how we have no grace. Well, well, that, that grace is limited a lot of times in our society now because we do hold a high bar for, for behavior and that, and yes, we should have high standards. However, people aren't perfect. And I think the idea that we can't celebrate someone's life who was imperfect is, is false because there, there would never be a celebration of life. We've all fallen short. <laughs> We've all fallen short of the glory. And truth be told, like there, like we all, like if, if I died today, there would be some people who could say some negative things about things I did in life. Same. However, <laughs> how, how, however, you look at the last, you know, decade or so we we're, we're looking real good, buddy. We're looking real, real good. If, if you look at like the first 15 years and the last decade, we're, we're not doing, actually, I would say the last eight, eight years. We're like not doing bad at all, buddy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Very proud of that. So, I mean, at, at what point in time do we have to, are we able to say, all right, look, this person was overall, they had a huge impact on so many people because huge. his Mamba Academy was was is doing great things out in the community for youth. And now you wonder what's going to become of that. Well, you talk about the Pac-12 connection. I just think about his relationship with Diana Taurasi. Think about his relationship with Sabrina Ionescu. Think about all the kids who played in this footprint and went on to play for Pac-12 schools. DeMar DeRozan, uh, Russell Westbrook. You need to think about the impact on some of those guys. Jeremy Lin was a California boy who then went to Harvard. And then Lin Sanity happened with the Knicks. And they interviewed Kobe Bryant in the middle of all that. And he's like, we'll see. And Jeremy Lin went out and had the best game of his career with Kobe Bryant guarding him and forced Kobe to respect him. And that's all anybody really ever wanted was Kobe's approval in the same way that Kobe wanted to earn it from, from Jordan. He was just that guy. And Kobe Bryant, the best thing about him is, you know, Michael Jordan had an unattainable talent and an inaccessible personality. He inspired an entire legion of people, but you'll never be as talented as Michael was. And, and, and he wasn't necessarily the most approachable guy and still isn't. Right. With my, yeah. with, with LeBron James, LeBron James is a, he, he's half God, half man. You, you yeah. don't get to be six, eight two seventy or whatever he plays at, at such a high level. He is otherworldly and his talent is more magic than Michael. Anyway, with Kobe Bryant, it was the first person to come in and to model his game after probably the best to ever do it and almost attain that five titles did it through just hard work and dedication and at the end of the day when it was all over 
he turned around and he started giving back to people. My best friend, uh, my longest and oldest best friend, uh, he's a he's a girls basketball coach down here at the lower level. This school only has about 200 girls, but he's won five championships uh, with this girls team over the last eight years. And he met Kobe Bryant a couple of months ago. And Kobe Bryant doesn't know anything to anybody. And this is how I know that Kobe Bryant's dedication to growing the women's game was legit. Man, he sat there, he talked life with my, with my buddy, uh, Coach Eric Gray out here at Leading Edge Academy in Gilbert, Arizona, a tiny school for 15 minutes, you know, gave him, gave him advice, talked about women's basketball, talked about the state of the sport and everything like that. Happily posed for a picture with him and moved on about his day. Like he was, he was giving back. He was living that next chapter and for that to be cut short. It's just, man, it's just awful. Definitely agree with that, Ralph. That... It was just so unbelievable because he was supposed to get old with us and the the inspiration that he gave to so, so many. And truly, my only regrets in life are when I didn't live with the quote unquote Mamba mentality. That's giving everything you have until the task is done the extreme dedication to things that I say that I love and that I want the most. And then enjoying that hard and arduous process of building greatness all at the same time while being educated and thoughtful about things outside of your love to learn new ways to love your love. And that was the thing that I just appreciate. Like he learned how to speak multiple languages. Some of them from when he was over in Italy with with his dad, but he learned how to speak Spanish, learned how other things. So he could communicate with some of his teammates better, like Paul Gasol. So he could, I mean, and then he went on, I mean, just days before he died, somebody got in a big car accident in near, near his house. He's out helping these people. Not, not for anything there are no cameras around nothing just because of that like just the idea that we should give our all it's hard because some days you don't feel like it some days you're tired but the idea that you give your all for what you say that you want those are the people that always win always win it's yeah. impossible to lose when when you give every single thing that you have and you not a, and that you find the right way to do it like you like you give your all you're passionate about it people will follow you these are just the facts yeah and i mean it, and i mean i when i when i think of kobe bryant i think of my dad a little bit and he always used to tell me as a scatterbrained child he always used to say hey do what you're doing while you're doing it complete the task be wholly dedicated to the task you know, and, and, and of course, being a kid, you know, the thing that you hear the most, you hear the most because it's not registering, right? It's just getting pounded over your head. And, and you know, my dad is one of those people that, that, that was, you know, superhuman to me because he's my dad. And, uh, and Kobe Bryant was superhuman on the basketball court, but my dad is also extra human and made his share of mistakes. And, and Kobe Bryant was, was one of those people as well. And my dad is also one of those people that taught me that you can come back from that and you can do it with focus and with dedication and with time and with people surrounding you who allow you to do that. And that was always his message to me was, Hey, do what you're doing while you're doing it. And Kobe Bryant is always somebody that I looked at that just sort of epitomized that, that he had the ability to have his hand in so many pots and doing so many things. But when his focus was on something, 
he gave it 100% of himself. And that's how he was able to accomplish so many great things. And it's the reason why, um, you know, we see this clips of him, him talking to Gigi on the sidelines and, 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 and things like that. It's why we see him training her and, and, and why we see them have the ability to just get along. And at the same time, him, him be her supporter and him be her coach. And uh, yeah, it's just what, what, what an absolutely awful loss. And I know this is a PAC 12 show, um, but this is the footprint that he was in. And these are the people that he inspired. And um and man, it's 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 going to be a rough go without him. But I hope people cling to some of the things that they were able to just sort of take away from his legacy, and move forward, and do something positive. Totally agree. I mean, it it's just very hard and very difficult. But the only, I mean, like, wouldn't wouldn't Kobe hate us for giving up? I mean, wouldn't he? Wouldn't it isn't the worst possible thing that we could do? Is to be a be uh, smush, smush Parker in life. Yeah, yeah. It's for that's it's for, mean to smush. I feel bad, but like, hey, it is what it is. Is to is for things to get hard and then fold up. Yeah. I mean, what? I mean, he would if if people if I mean I, I I know that it's impossible to possibly think what you know to even try to give some advice to. Vanessa or anything like that but wouldn't I mean like wouldn't he hate it though if if everybody just gave up on on life and stopped doing what they were doing because he died yeah and I mean that was part of what he said right be different but the same it was a joke in a Nike commercial where he said are you a different animal but the same beast you know that commercial with Kanye uh, you see oh, yeah. going around social media so much in the last couple of days with all the other great memories or whatever, but things are different now, and but things still have to be the same, you know? So can you be different and can you still attack everything with the same intensity uh, as before? And that's going to be, that's going to be the challenge for his fans and for all the people that he impacted and for the game of basketball itself. Yeah. And so it's a hard day. It's going to be a hard time, you know, for everybody to get over it. And, you know, I, I'm just going to look at the things that, that in my life, I, I think the best thing you can do to honor somebody is to really look at the things that they stood for and that were important to them and kind of honor those things. And he meant so much positively that I want to make sure that I take some of those things and really honor those in in my life because only greatness can come from that. Ralph, UCLA, man, I one of the beacons of the Pac-12. One of the like one of the nationally known programs is prestigious academic university most applied to in the world. Why they can't balance the budget? They had to borrow eighteen plus million dollars in an interest-bearing loan from the school to fund sports, football, and basketball at UCLA are not only supposed to are only supposed to fund themselves; they're also supposed to make money. 
and, and allow them to create reserves for later. What the hell is going on at UCLA? I mean, they got a problem with the APR, which is not necessarily entirely all their fault, but they have an issue with balancing the budget. Their athletic director, Dan Guerrero, who's on the way out. It's, I don't know how he didn't get fired. Like you get fired for stuff like this. They, they, uh, their budget for 2017 was their budget for 2017 104 million 2018 131 because they got a a under armor big bonus payment and then 108 for 2019 in their expenses they balanced the budget in 2017 and 18 spent spent every dollar which you are technically supposed to do when you have a budget and then um 2019 27 127.3 against 108 of revenue that is horrendous ralph 108 million dollars in revenue for ucla i mean when you look at the other college numbers from 2017 and 2018 even 108 million dollars puts you in the neighborhood of of kansas rutgers Illinois, and we're talking about for UCLA. What the hell is the problem, Ralph? <laughs> Hi, George. <laughs> I was under the impression there would be no mass, but uh, I, <laughs> I, you know, th- this budget looks like I was the one in charge of it. I, I just, uh, I don't, I don't know what's going on. I just know that you know that this is all going to get pinned on Chip Kelly somehow, like he's the athletic director and he's not. Dan Guerrero is the athletic director. He's been there for 15 years. This is the first time they've ever lost money. And when he was asked about it, the quote he gave is probably the dumbest thing I've ever read in my entire life. He said, fiscal responsibility has been a hallmark of UCLA athletics and being almost completely self-funded while growing the budget from 42 million in 2002 to 130 million currently has been a point of pride. What is he even saying? There's not saying anything. He's not saying anything. It's like if my wife went to the grocery store to buy groceries, card got declined, and she came home and said, where's our money? And I said, hey, honey, I just want to let you know that our grocery budget used to just be a couple hundred bucks a month when it was you and me, but me getting you pregnant four times and growing our grocery budget to $1,000 every single month, that's a point of pride for me. Where's the answer to the question in that, George? Like, what are we supposed to do with that information? (laughs) In that case, my wife would be furious at me and she would have every right to. And I think that anybody who is wanting to hold UCLA accountable to their finances, because when you have a budget shortfall, people often lose their jobs, you know? Uh, And so (laughs) he's retiring. He's on his way out. It wouldn't even hurt him to just wear a little bit of this and say like, yeah, as the athletic director, it's my job to make sure that we can meet our financial responsibilities. Not only were we not able to do that, but we're going to end up costing ourselves more in the long run because we have to take out an interest bearing loan in order to pay uh, ourselves back. I'm going to work in conjunction with the incoming athletic director to make sure that we can get this right. It's important. No, don't work with him. 
Don't work <laughs> with him. <laughs> I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna stay as far away from as possible so that so that we can get things under control. But what I don't like is that you know Chip Kelly's not doing that well as football coach, and Steve Alford definitely struggled when when he was the basketball coach there. And it's gonna be laid at their feet, like just because a program loses games that they're not supposed to meet their fiscal and financial responsibilities. And that's stupid. That's not necessarily the case. And anybody who screws up to the point where 18, 19 million dollars just goes missing unaccounted for isn't somebody that should be in a position of authority, especially if there's somebody who can't just take accountability for it. And that's one of my biggest problems with society today is that there are just a bunch of rich people who have never made a goddamn mistake in their entire lives. Yet everything is uh, screwed up. So someone is screwing up. So point me to whoever is in charge so we can give that person a swift kick in the (laughs) shin and get everything back on track. I think if you're a UCLA fan, you should be furious about this because meeting their financial obligations is the largest part of the entire job of running anything. My my father-in-law, he... Um, he's a big UCLA donor and he has, I mean, like he's donated multiple full scholarships, multiple. I sent him this article. He said, that's what happens when you put a crappy product on the field and court for almost two decades. Good job, Dan. (laughs) And, and he knows this man personally. Knows him personally, like has his phone number. And he's like, bro, this dude's the worst. Nobody who ever says good job followed by your first name actually means good job. (laughs) Good job, Ralph. Right. Yeah. Never, never. I've never (laughs) heard those three words together. You just the, the comma first name after good job is almost always sarcastic. Here's the question that I have, though. So where did the money go? So the money went to, there was the, uh, they paid $12.5 million in severance to Jim Mora in uh, fiscal year 18 to cover the four remaining years, then paid $3.9 million to Offert and gave Cronin a $2 million signing bonus. Donors agreed to help cover portions of the buyouts, but... It came in pledges paid over time. Um, but they were still able to balance the books because of the uh, the $16 million that came from Under Armour and some of the reserves that they had. But they didn't have the option. Well, they didn't have the money to then pay the $5.9 million hit that came from the basketball change. But... That's still only a drop in the bucket for the 18 million. So they spent extra money on um on nutrition for the, for the athletes, which is a good investment. An extra five million dollars on Olympic sports. But the reality at the end of the day is you have to win on the field and on the basketball court. And UCLA. History says they're one of the greatest college basketball teams of all time. They had they haven't been good since Adam Morrison was going up against Kevin Love. 
And there, Adam Morris is out of the NBA. Kevin Love's on his last tooth. That's how long it's been. If you take out the Lonzo Ball year, they've been bad. So, so the question, and the thing is, how close are they really to being back? That's the question that you have to ask. How close are they? And it doesn't look like they're very close right now. And the reason why that's important, Ralph, is because if you transition onto the other side of town to see what's going on at USC, people at USC, oh, everything will be fine once we get a new coach. Ah, slow down. Look at what happened at UCLA basketball, who's one of the beacons of, of all college basketball programs. It was like them, Kentucky, North Carolina, Kansas, and that's about it. And they fall into the a third tier team right now. Second, third tier team. Can't even get the top recruits at this point in time. USC, if they don't get this fixed in football, they will suffer the same fate. Am I wrong, Ralph? No, you're you're not wrong. Um, you know, I'm obviously the, you know, there's a there's some some differences. You know, they'll see a financial hit, obviously. Um, but we, we won't know as much about it as we do with UCLA being a, a public school, taking taxpayer funding so that we we get the opportunity to see some of their books or whatever. Um, but I just think about some of the stuff that Dan Guerrero's done. You know, he talks about, he, you know, they grew the budget. Well, being part of the Pac-12 grew the budget. He didn't have much to do with that. And the one thing that Dan Guerrero did to actually help infuse UCLA's program with cash by signing what was at the time the biggest deal with a, an apparel provider in the history of college athletics, one that both parties have come to regret in getting two, I believe what he got $280 million from Under Armour back in yep. 2016. Well, how do you think Under Armour feels sinking $280 <laughs> million into an athletic program that is not doing anything in the premier sports that they they need to be able to uh to shine yeah, they can't even get the logo out except yeah. for when they're getting blown out by oklahoma and how do you think the students feel when the stuff that they're getting from under armor they believe is contributing to their inability to succeed as athletes there's a big article that came out in 2018 about ucla athletes refusing to wear the under armor stuff that was provided to them track athletes saying you know uh Kendall Gustafson said that the athletes, uh, some athletes suffered Achilles injuries and switched back to Nike, Asics, and Adidas because Under Armour is not a track shoe company. So I UCLA didn't know they si made track shoes. I did <laughs> not even know they made track shoes. Well, they they have to they have to to be able to outfit the entire program because they're paying for that entire program to be able to represent their brand. And they so they don't even have the technology for that. They're still a very new company. Like they are in basketball shoes and apparel. I mean, really, that's where they live. So, and that so that's the thing is it, Dan Guerrero. Yeah. He gets this cash infusion, but at what cost? Cause then you have to go out and sell the idea of representing under armor for free to elite athletes who may have comfort with a different brand that actually enhances and specializes in whatever they're doing. And that and, and so the one of the best things that Dan Guerrero did for the UCLA program ended up kind of being a poison pill. And that's not to say that I have anything bad to say about Under Armour. I have plenty of Under Armour things in my house, you know, definitely uh, not athletic shoes. 
Um, but you know, that, that, this whole idea, then the fa- <laughs> the fact that UCLA uh, athletes were going on record with the Daily Bruin saying that you know the title sponsor, the two hundred and eighty million dollars sponsor, uh, was contributing to the lack of welfare for athletes on campus. That's not good for any of the parties involved. So even the best thing that he ever did ended up kind of backfiring on them. And then to be able to have all that money in hand and not and and not meet your budget is it's it's even crazier and so my question to you george is 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 this part of uh all is this all part of one problem or are there multiple unrelated problems all going on at ucla at the same time because you know you can have cancer and that can cause your immune system to be compromised and that can give you pneumonia or you can just have cancer and pneumonia and the two things don't have anything to do with each other when we see all these athletes just transferring out of UCLA, whether it's, you know, the latest tight end who decided to leave or Sharif O'Neal leaving the basketball team. Um, is this, are these things related? You know, Jalen Phillips, Um, he's one of their best recruits of all time. He just tweeted that he had left a toxic environment and everyone assumes he's talking about UCLA, not Southern California in general. Yeah. But this is a kid too, who, who thought he wanted to leave football to be a music producer. I mean, and I mean, we, I think that there's a different temperature that toxic environment. Nobody has ever said, I mean, Chip Kelly coached in Philadelphia, the 49ers coached at Oregon. Nobody has ever said it was a toxic environment. I've never heard that. So, you know, it looks, you know, like one office and a 2019, 2020 symptom. We just had a kid from Kentucky. He had a five-star kid in basketball leave Kentucky, go into the transfer portal because he was he wasn't playing well. Minutes went went down, and he said, "I came here because I believed in Coach Calipari, and you know it's just not going the way that I thought it was going to go, so I'm out." In the middle of his freshman season, like, come on, man! Like, you got to be able to ride some of the hard stuff out. And UCLA, if Chip Kelly can can restore some wins, because that will help everything. That will help the the attendance at UCLA games because we have season tickets to UCLA. And I've never in my life seen the the stadium this empty. And the 2020 schedule doesn't really help. But guess what? They will probably, they better be 3-0 and after the first three weeks. They play New Mexico State, at Hawaii, and at San Diego State. So they better win those games. They better start out the season 3-0. and And then they think- get... No, I'm sorry. I just... I- it just popped into my head because of Super Bowls this week, and maybe we'll get into that a little bit later in the show. But do you think the LaShawn McCoy stuff has anything to do with it? His criticism. Do you think there's a ripple effect, a lasting issues of LaShawn McCoy calling out Chip Kelly and their whole beef? You know, does that factor into athlete attitudes at all? Uh, I think it may in recruiting if people, you know, where negative recruiting, if people bring it up, but LaShawn McCoy is not necessarily the voice of reason. 
You, no, you so... mean you mean you mean someone having the nickname Shady? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's not as influential with kids because he's not that good anymore. I mean, he's kind of on the tail end of his career. Doesn't really have a huge social media presence. People hated him for 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 spoiling. Um, spoiling the end of what, what was it star wars or black pan i mean like one of the avengers movies something <laughs> he spoiled the end of a movie people were upset on twitter so yeah so he's not necessarily a guy that i, I don't think that that factors into the recruiting i think ucla has a couple inherent problems recruiting number one I know this is going to sound sound weird, and I know we live in 20, 2020, and people want to say we're all inclusive, everything's perfect, everything's the same, but it's not. UCLA's colors, first of all, are tough to sell. They are. Powder really? blue and yellow. Yes, oh, dude, man. yes. It just doesn't look as tough. And and that's that's number one. There, And I don't you think, think that you, that's a... You think huh? the powder? You think powder blue comes off as soft? You think people a little bit? Yeah, little you bit. really think aesthetics have more to do with it than? No, ah, no, no. Yeah. I th- I think this is a multiple part part problem. Okay, I think okay. that the I think that the that the colors provide maybe become an issue for like ten percent, right? Especially when you're recruiting against USC and uh, who's got much stronger colors. Maybe yeah. For, I mean, it does. It does look like a when you're decorating your nursery, you got a boy. Yeah. In the way, you know. I, yeah. You you expect to see the 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 neutral the neutral yellows and the and the soft blues to soothe your infant. <laughs> exactly. And then the other issue that you run into is the Under Armour thing. <clears throat> there is probably twenty five percent of kids who will not go to a school. Because of their their shoe contract. There are kids who wear Nikes. There are kids who wear Adidas. And yeah, there's a couple people who wear Under Armour. It's just different. Under Armour tried real hard to get into the grassroots. They sponsored our rivals camps for a while. And I think they've they've got their own camps. And so they know how important it is to get yeah. in front of kids and, and some of their, honestly, like some of their cleats um, ha- have been pretty innovative and stuff like that. But the truth is it's still not, it's still not Adidas and it's still not Nike. Yeah. It's not ringing in the streets like that. And the last part is that they're just not winning right now. So it is very easy to say, okay, you you can go to UCLA if you want to. We'll, we'll, we'll just beat you up every time that we play you. And so will everybody else. You can go there and lose if you want to, or you can come over here. You can be a be a winner. Come over here and be a winner. So, so that's what they're selling right now. That's why, um, that's why you have USC suffering in recruiting because you have a lame duck coach, and that's where we will go next. Ralph is uh, the number one player in the twenty twenty one class, Corey Foreman. He just committed to Clemson uh, right after their junior day. And Bo Collins, who DJ Ugalegi. Uh, please, please, Ugalegi. Uyagalele. 
Ui, Ui Agalele. Okay, I need to get, there, get there right before college football season starts. <laughs> Ugalele. <clears throat> that he actually actually I shouldn't have to call his call his name until <laughs> until next year anyway because they still have Trevor Lawrence. Um you uh his high school wide receiver who's a top wide wide receiver in California at St. John Bosco. They both committed to Clemson within what 48 hours and USC thought that they had a real shot with him and they thought that they had Corey Foreman in the bag they were like this thing is in the bag don't worry about it clay clay helton everything will be fine for 2021 because we got we're gonna make a bounce back in recruiting and then that happens that's no bueno ralph yeah that's really bad and 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 to i mean to put into context bo collins is currently the number 22 player in the country according to rivals I think he's like the number four or five receiver. Uh, he's listed as a four star, but when it's all said and done, the top he might be a five star. Well, the top 32 players end up being five stars because the entire rating system is built around them projecting to the first round of the NFL draft three to four years away. The if All a five star is on either 24 seven or on rivals, the network that I work alongside, all a five star is, is somebody that they believe will be picked in the first round of the draft when their time comes. That's what five star means is first round pick. It's, it's not an indication of how successful they'll be at the college level. It's not even an indication of how good they are as a high school player. They are projecting someone to the first round. And right now, what Rivals is saying is that four years from now, Bo Collins and Corey Foreman, who is currently the number one player in the entire country, are both going to be first round picks in the NFL draft. They live a few miles from USC's campus and they are not only leaving home, they're going 22, 2300 miles from home. They're getting as far away from USC as possible. I think the only thing that would be more embarrassing is if they made early commitments to potentially a, a, a Pac-12 school or something like that. And, and so, you know, yeah, they still have a commitment from Jake Garcia, but you and I talked on the phone the other night, you know, they're a long way from getting the ink dried on, on, on Jake Garcia's signature. The worst possible thing that could happen for, for USC is to lose out on Jake Garcia the way that they lost out on Bryce Young. Yeah. And USC in the 2021 class, they Oregon has Four of the top 26 players in California committed to to go to the University of Oregon. Uh, USC has three. They have Jake Garcia, uh, who may or may not fulfill that commitment, depending on, like we talked about, if he gets spooked. You have uh, Ma'a Gaote Ote, whose brother plays at USC, so that's pretty much, that's probably a lock. But the the rest of the kids, two of them going to Notre Dame probably. You got kids going to Washington, Alabama. Uh, Clemson has poached a couple. LSU got Rayshon Davis. I mean, it. you're just looking at a case where, okay, where is – USC. Oh, and then a court quarterback, Miller Moss, he's going to probably go to go to Cal. You're just sitting there like, where on earth do you think that this is supposed to happen? 
Yeah, and I mean, people got to remember, even back as far as the class of 2019, probably the prized freshman recruit they took out of that class was Drake Jackson, who proved to be uh, one of the best, um, you know, probably close to Kayvon Thibodeau as, as the best defensive lineman um, in the entire Pac-12 in that freshman class. And even his decision was came down to like the last minute of his dad practically begging him to go to USC over ASU and him revealing that he had a USC shirt on under his, uh, under his zip up hoodie. But I mean, he was telling ASU that they were in it all the way up until he made that decision. And so uh, they almost lost out on him too. This is, uh, it's, it's scary right now. What's going on with USC. I talked to a college coach the other day. I know you've talked to college coaches who have been in this situation as well, where the idea of working for USC has been floated to them. And they have said for my own health and my own family's health, I don't know if I could go somewhere where I might only be there for a year and I'm just starting out. It might set me back to where I'm, I don't get another start like that's how wary of this situation so many people uh are at this point again you and i have both had conversations with college level coaches that have said that when presented the opportunity to potentially be in a gig at usc that they had to eliminate that mentally yep oh my goodness i If you are USC, the question is, how do you stop the bleeding? Because you because you hired Todd Orlando to be the defensive coordinator who had to be like your sixth, seventh choice. Because a lot of people turn the job down because they're like, yo, we, we have a lame duck coach. It's a bad idea, bad job to take. I'm not doing it. So the only I, the only the only way to fix it at this point, well, actually, there are two ways to fix it. First thing is you either have to go all in, give Bob Stoops or Urban Meyer whatever they want. Let them fire, hire whoever they want in the building. Let it be their show. Or you have to try to see what Graham Harrell can do for you. But the first most important thing that you have to do, if you don't hire a big splash head coach, a proven winner like that is, You have to let go of the idea of what a USC man looks like because that's why they didn't hire Ed Ogeron. Booster said he'll never be the head coach because he doesn't look like a USC guy. Who cares? Are you going to win football games? That is the only thing that matters. And until you get your elitist head stuck out of your ass, you will continue to lose. These are the breaks. This is how it works, Ralph. Like nothing ever good comes from from uh, that. Um, you are very excited though, Ralph. Your boy Todd Graham, former Arizona State <laughs> coach, is back coaching college football. Mahalo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean Todd Graham got that Hawaii job. Uh, I I I hear the I hear the light in your voice. You are so happy right now. I am, man. Ty, Ty Graham's a, he's an interesting dude. Um, he's somebody that, <laughs> he's somebody that if you listen to him speak, I mean, you talk about that feeling of wanting to run through a wall, like he'll make you want to be better at whatever it is that you're, that you're doing, 
you know? And then if you have a direct interaction with him, you know, where he's not just sort of speaking in generalities to a group. If you have a direct interaction with you, sometimes he'll make you feel smaller than a, than a fleet. You know, he, he, he's an interesting dude who has kind of multiple sides to his personality. He is incredibly abrasive. He's incredibly demanding. And, um, he's also just absolute career steroids for people. If you look at his coaching tree, it is absurd whether people have been a GA under him or an analyst under him or a position coach or a coordinator, they almost always get opportunities immediately to go do big things elsewhere. And so I think his existence in college football, I'm kind of glad that he's sort of back in the game because he creates those opportunities for people to thrive in other places. And it's one of those through the fire things, man. If you can work for Todd Graham, you could work for anybody. And Todd Graham will definitely prepare you to 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 be out there on your own as well. You know, you got uh, Chip Lindsey, who is a ASU offensive coordinator, has a head coaching gig now. Billy Napier, who's an offensive coordinator for ASU, has got a head coaching gig now. Mike Norvell is now the head coach at, uh, at, at Florida State. I mean, even like guys like Dan Lanning, who were just sort of GAs under Todd Graham. He's already the defensive coordinator at the University of Georgia. And so... You know, uh, um, Jay Norvell spent one year as his wide receivers coach. He's the head coach at Nevada. So, I mean, it's, it, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm happy that he's back in it. I think he does a good job of, of, of molding young men and, and, and having like big expectations of them. And at the same time, like, yeah, he, he, he's definitely, he's out there as far as his personality. And, and it's kind of a lot to, a lot to digest, but you know, we in a world where uh, we've kind of softened all the corners and rounded everything off so that things aren't so abrasive. I think it's kind of nice that you know you got the guy who's essentially the dad from King of the Hill, uh, not the da- Hank Hill's dad, the grandpa from King of the Hill, out there with his old school ways. And I think it'll be interesting the way that it mixes with sort of the culture of Hawaii. And and I, I hope he does some really good things out there. I'm a huge fan of Mountain West football anyway. Um, form another, you know, uh, former ASU assistant in Danny Gonzalez being the head coach at New Mexico now and former San Diego state head coach, uh, Rocky long leaves San Diego state to go be the defensive coordinator under the guy that was his defensive coordinator at San Diego state. It's all pretty wild. He'll be part of a really fun conference. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to, I'll be rooting for him in almost every game, except for when they play my Wyoming Cowboys who, to change the topic, Wyoming Cowboys just deno- uh, donated their DC to the cause out there in Pullman, Washington, and in Jake Dickert, and uh, and I think that'll be that'll be an interesting uh, move for him. Uh, Wyoming's defense was really really good, especially considering that their quarterbacks can't throw the ball. Uh, which is why I think anybody who looks at Josh Allen's college stats is an insane person. Throwing the ball in Laramie is a uh, quite a task. So they give the ball quite uh, back all the time. They're always giving the ball back to the opposing offense and, uh, and, and they still manage to be ranked pretty high nationally uh, defensively. And so um, hopefully uh, that'll be the answer that Washington state is looking for on the defensive side of the ball um, because Washington state's not really a team that gives the ball back very often. And they really do like to air it out and have a, 
a whole lot of uh, success. So the guy who had the orchestrated the number 13 pass defense in the country, number 23 total defense um, in, in the country uh, is, is headed to Pullman. And I'm, I'm interested to see if it works out for them. Yeah, that will be interesting because I know that you're attached to that because you are a Wyoming lover. You and am, yes. you and Josh Allen's parents who who hate me <laughs> on Twitter. Um, uh, but there was another addition in the well loss in the Pac-12. You had Cal's defensive backs coach who has been on the radar of assistant coaches that you need to watch which with, with moving on to the NFL or becoming defensive coordinators, eventually becoming head coaches, Gerald Alexander. And he moves on to the Miami Dolphins to be their defensive backs coach. And, and I, and it's funny because I had talked to him <laughs> and he was, and he had actually hoped that, Nick Rolovich would call him about the defensive coordinator job at Washington state and, or some other people might call him about a defensive coordinator job. He did not get any calls about a defensive coordinator job, which was a little bit frustrating, but at the same time, the NFL came, came calling and how it works in coaching is, is if you're a college coach, it's hard to get an NFL job, but if you're an NFL coach, it is very easy to get an NFL job. I mean, a college coaching job so he wanted to make sure that he had his options open and it's a great opportunity coaching with a great uh well with a young and upcoming coach and brian flores who he believes in and believe is going somewhere so you know it's an opportunity so you may see him back again in college i hope so it won't be for a little while <clears throat> i i hope so because he's one of those guys that i feel like is actually like is is good for the kids goes about it the yep. right way, understands the, the the culture of college football, the goals that people have, and what it takes to get the most out of people. Um, and I think that that's something that college football is. With, with all the people who are just sort of in it to climb, you know, um, who, who are in it to make it uh, a career and, and who really um, are most – mostly advocating for themselves and their own self-interest, he was still able to advance and at the same time, you know, keep the job first and keep the kids first. And, and I think that it's uh, I think he will be missed in the PAC 12 and missed in college football. And I, I think he's destined for, for good things in the NFL, but potentially later in the future, great things at the college football level. But they replaced him with Marcel Yates, who was the defensive coordinator for University of Arizona the last few years. Kind of the scapegoat for a lack of talent. Um, and he, he served under both Rich Rod and Kevin Sumlin. But this is a guy who had a lot of success at Boise State as their defensive coordinator. Do you think he'll be able to get his mojo back at Cal? Hmm. I would assume so. I mean, because there there's less responsibility. <laughs> yeah. So it is easier to focus on one particular thing than having to have the global view of an entire, you know, of an entire side of the ball. <sighs> so I, I, I hope so. I hope that that leads him to a better situation. You know what I mean? And is good for Cal overall. Um, but, Ralph, now it's time for basketball because, you know, we are not only a football pod podcast. We are we cover the Pac-12 basketball as well. 
And I wanted to start with a game that, you know, that it was, you expected it to go one way and it didn't. And, but it, it's basketball, so you can't really take too much from one loss. But the Arizona losing to Arizona State felt extremely bad for Sean Miller and the state of Arizona basketball. Yeah, that was a weird one. They had a 22-point lead in the first half. There's absolutely no reason that game should have been close. And then uh, they, you know, they, they got this kid, Zeke Naji. Um, who was, I think, their third highest rated freshman coming in um, in last year's class. And he's definitely been the top performer. And there's a really good chance all three of those guys are going to be one and done uh, first round picks, which makes their, you know, the effort they've been putting in on the road that much more perplexing and frustrating. I'm not sure they've won a road game this year. I don't think they have. Um, but for them to blow that game, was just it goes back to this thing that I've always wondered about Sean Miller is when he has a big who maybe not a dominant big like dominant in every situation but a big that is dominating in a situation uh, and especially against Arizona State who really just does not have the depth in the front court uh, get the ball to Zeke Naji for the love of God and and Zeke Naji I mean he was basically their entire offense after ASU got back in the game and in the end of the game they didn't look for him. And, uh, and you know, they, Nico Mannion ends up kicking it out to Josh Green, who, who dribbles to the, um, free throw line, takes an absolutely horrid shot and they end up losing 66, 65. And I'm seeing a lot of people that are just kind of sick of having these conversations about whether Sean Miller is able to maximize the talent that he gets, um, uh, on the court. But also you have to recognize that Sean Miller pulls ridiculous talent to Tucson. And so, you know, yeah, do you problem, believe right? that the school? Yes, that is the problem. It's the problem, but sometimes the problem is also uh, a revelatory of a blessing, right? Like, uh, you know, like I had a bad day today, but I woke up on planet earth and I'm living this blessed life and I'm taking breath into my lungs. And that allowed me to have a bad day in the first place. Like Sean Miller is not getting the most out of the incredible talent he's bringing to Tucson, but the incredible talent is in Tucson, Arizona. So unless you have the belief that the school recruits itself, you kind of have to dance with the devil, you know, and just hope that Sean Miller figures it out. Yeah. Yeah. But they, I mean, they didn't win a tight, they didn't get, uh, Dion, they lost to, but Buffalo with DeAndre Ayton, uh, yep. with, you know, with Lori Mark, they had Lori Mark and, and they weren't feeding him the ball and they ended up blowing it in the tournament the year before that. They didn't make the tournament last year. This year they are in danger. They're currently a top 25 team. They might not be for long, but they're uh, in they danger. won't be top 25 after this week. <laughs> yeah. when, the, when the polls come out today, they won't be top 25. And so then they got to go to Washington. And again, they're not winning road games, right? And then Washington State's been a little bit better, and they got to worry about playing them as well. Uh, they got to get a win. They got to get two wins this weekend. They got to get this thing back on track. If they don't make the tournament this year, that'd be two years in a row for U of A. Maybe you got to make a change. A lot of people thought they were going to make a change anyway because you had one assistant dismissed for, you know, Mark Phelps dismissed for whatever mystery thing he was, whether it was, you know, over the line academic help or whatever he had going on. You had another assistant go to jail. 
So, you know, and, and, and he's kind of escaped by the skin of his teeth on all this. And, uh, and he was kind of unfairly crucified by a lot of elements of the media that didn't have the whole story or fabricated parts of it. Um, but at the same time, you know, you're only as safe as, as your record. Uh, and, and I think that that's, that's definitely a big issue for him. I watched that game and I was just, uh, it was unbelievable that they let ASU back into it the way that they did. Yeah, that was pretty bad, Ralph. Uh, and I just don't know what more, like, what more can he, like how the, the, the rope has to end at some point, because at the end of the day, Fans are going to become disgruntled. They want wins. They want to come out and see a good product on the field. They want to see their team, want to see their family. Want, I mean, that like they want to see the school and be proud of it, not and win games, not just win some of the games. They want to, they expect to go to the tournament, make deep runs every couple years, and maybe win a championship once every decade. That, that, yeah. that sounds pretty good. I think the cream is rising to the top of the Pac-12, though. Um, you know, USC 20-point blowout win over Oregon State this week. Colorado with a with a 14-point win over Washington. And Oregon finally actually, you know, played up to their ability and, and didn't play in a tight game and a 21-point win over UCLA. Those are the three teams at the top of the conference, and those are probably the three teams that really – only deserve to be ranked right now with Oregon being 17 and four, six and two overall in the conference, USC 16 and four, five and two in the conference and Colorado as well. And so, you know, and, and those three teams are, 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 they don't, none of them play each other this week, I don't think. And so um, you could continue to see them sort of uh, extend their lead over everybody else. And that's going to make, that's definitely going to make these late season matchups really interesting, especially, um, it, because it, you know, USC, I think is probably the biggest surprise. Um, oh, for sure. But if, if Oregon's finally hitting on all cylinders and they're not just playing tight games, <laughs> Oh, they, you, they finally didn't play a tight game against right, UCLA. Right. But I think that they, the, the game before that, uh, was a double overtime win over USC. So <laughs> they go and the game before that, they were in overtime against Washington. So I mean they're still playing in these in in these tight games and and getting wins or whatever but it was nice to see them actually like and UCLA's not a terrible team but it was nice to see them actually play up to their potential drop 96 points in regulation in that game. Yeah, that's that's a big win because the conference needs elite teams and truthfully like you don't really need the teams at the bottom to be all that good. You want your teams at the top to be elite. That's what I want to really know. Want. I want to know how in the hell Oregon has gotten away with not having to be on Pac-12 Network uh, recently because their win over Arizona back on January 9th was on ESPN. Uh, they beat ASU on Pac-12 Network, so no one saw that. And then they lost to Washington State on FS1, beat Oregon in overtime, or uh, beat Washington in overtime on CBS, and then they yep. played on ESPNU in that double overtime game. And then they were on Fox. They were on regular Fox for their win over well, UCLA. Well, actually, they were they were supposed to be on Fox. They were not on Fox, though. Oh, really? They, oh, here? Dude, the game was not on television. It was all Kobe. Oh, that's right. Everything they, got preempted. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, but but you are right though. They have been dominating. I mean, yeah. that's why 
It's funny because I've noticed Oregon State fans in particular, they're like, oh, I've unfollowed the Pac-12 network because all they because all they talk about is Oregon. Um, well, the truth is, is that the conference consistently promotes their best teams and Oregon just so happens to be good in in the in the sports that have been going on so far. You got football and then both basketball teams. Like you it's unavoidable. Yeah. Get 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 better if you want more airtime. What 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 are yeah. you supposed to put you on to lose? Well, hey man, so you just brought up the fact that they didn't televise that game because of Kobe Bryant. I mean, is that that's something we should probably get into, right? Absolutely. Thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles, man. We appreciate your time, appreciate your energy. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, don't forget, at Ralph Amson on Twitter, give it a follow, at George Reister. Visit the Unafraid Show. Um, check out Ralph's other podcasts as well. We appreciate your time, appreciate your energy. Peace out. Catch you guys later. <laughs>